This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Grace Brothers Ladies Intimate Apparel. Are you stuck in a dead-end job? Don't quite know how to dress for success? Try Grace Brothers Supervisory Frills. No cheap frills here. Get yours today. Ask for Supervisor Brahms on the first floor. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon. And this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing? Uh, you know what that sound is? We've reached brand. Well, yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but other than that, um, this is my favorite episode. Mrs. Slocum, senior person. I feel like you've said that before. Well, I don't know. I have lots of favorites. Can a father not have multiple favorite children? Such as Brandon can have favorite episodes of a fifty-year-old <laughs> British television show. Well, this this actually was Molly Sugden's favorite episode. Uh, yeah. Th- this she also had a lot of. Um, uh, 50 Years On was another one of her favorites, but this one <laughs> was her favorite. And when she passed, BBC aired this as the, like, memorial. Oh, really? Like, that, that afternoon, yeah. That's so sweet, because I just watched the episode. So, you know, we've said several times on the podcast, before you listen to our show, go and watch the show, um, Are You Being Served, that we're focusing on for the episode. Because I just did it, and, and my God, how cool is Molly Sugden? And what a great actress was she. And, like, this episode was sort of like a love story to her. Like, you know, when you have a series that's gone on for, what, ten series altogether, they have enough material so that each character kind of has their little gift they get given from the directors and producers and writers. And this is clearly Molly Sugden's little gift. Because anytime she's drunk or annoyed or bored... The amount of acting that she can do, not even say any. Like when she's in the chair being bored. Man, that is so good. Love it. Uh, we've heard from a lot of our unanimous fans throughout the week. We um, heard from Teresa and Lori on Facebook. Um, the day that we're recording is actually Superfan Heidi's birthday. So happy birthday, Heidi. Happy birthday, Heidi. We got a very Yay. lovely email from a new fan, Holly. Thank you, who Holly. shared some memories about... Uh, watching the show growing up and all of the other Britcoms that she likes, Vicar of Dibley yep. and Father Ted and Keeping Up Appearances, etc. Um, and we also heard from uh, Superfan Tilt on Twitter. So uh, thank you all very much, Unanimous. We, we love hearing from you and um, please keep it up. Yeah, and I'll say um, Superfan Tilt on Twitter. Hello. Um, she, they, he, she, they, don't know, who knows, whatever it is, whatever they prefer. Um, were from West Yorkshire and now live in Orange County. And there was another podcast that um, did a whole thing, did a whole spiel about Are You Being Served? Also people moving to L.A. from the U.K. So maybe they just picture everything looking like Hollywood and they decide to move and they're like, actually, it's not bad. I'll stay. <laughs> I don't know. But thanks for all the, the retweeting and all that good stuff. So you've all done very well. 
You've all done very well, <laughs> and please remember to wear a mask and wash your hands. And Black, Black lives, lives Matter. Matter, and they still we do. are. We are so close to ending this pandemic. Vaccines are rolling out in pharmacies in two days from now. We're 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 at a point of momentum. So please hang on a little bit longer, Mr. Folks. Jeff. Did you see the um, the graphic that we posted? Um, I want to get a Jaxi full of vaccine. <laughs> the people loved it. So that was fun. Indeed. Indeed they did, Mr. Brandon. Indeed they did. <laughs> so why don't we talk about Series 7, Episode 4, Mrs. Slocum, Senior Person. Take us back, Jeff. What was the dates and all that good stuff? So this originally premiered on November 9th, 1979. And that week in the news, uh, the UK's The Times newspaper resumed publishing after a year of labor problems. Uh, we talked about this back in Series 6, Episode 1, By Appointment, which is when they had to stop publishing because of uh, all the strikes. Oh, wow. So for a whole year, they didn't publish. Yeah. Wow. And um, the Cambridge Buddhist Center in Massachusetts finally gets an occupancy permit five months after opening. Well, I'm glad that finally happened. You know, I lost sleep the other night not knowing that date. <laughs> so that's good. So immediately we cut to uh, the little bit of chat on the ladies' counter. And Mrs. Slocum is telling, complaining to Miss Brahms that she wants to be considered for advancement. And so um, she put her name down on a list. A little and foreshadowing if anything, right in the first minute. <laughs> yeah. If anything in the executive ranks comes up, she's in line to be yeah. considered. Yeah. And over on the gentleman's counter, we see a man in a kilt who's interested in um, a plastic raincoat. And do you recognize this gentleman, Mr. Brandon? Um, I do. And for some reason, I want him to be Greek. I want him to be French. <laughs> I want him to be like every nationality and, and creed. Um, yeah, it's Gordon Kay, like everyone's right. British favorite uh, actor. Don't remember yep. if he's around, but man, you say the name Gordon Kay on Twitter, people will like turn their head and yeah. Gordon Kay, I love Gordon Kay. It's he's, he's beloved. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Obviously, from playing Renee and LOLO, but you also. You stupid woman. From our show, he played Mr. Tomiades in Do You Take This Man? And the director, who's a friend of Mr. Humphreys, because, well, I know you and you know me. And then Mr. Humphreys looks very uncomfortable. It was the Uzo that proposed, and now the bottle is empty. Oh. So now Gordon <laughs> Kay is playing Scottish, um, and he's wearing his sparring way too high. Like, that is not going to do a good job about keeping the kilt down in the wind. If there's anything that Jeff knows, it's spotting a good sporran on a Scotsman. <laughs> Don't tell me why, but he, he's very well uh, uh, you know, acquainted with that. I know exactly where the sporn is supposed to lie, you know, in, in contrast to, like, the inside leg, the measurement to the floor. Oh, so it's, it's, a, it's a fashion thing for you. I <laughs> see what you're saying. That's what he's going with. Okay. Well, it's to, avo it's to avoid a um, fashion catastrophe. What do they call that? What do they call that when Jack Janet Jackson? Wind, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what was it when um, Janet Jackson flashed her nip at the Super Bowl? A wardrobe a malfunction. Wardrobe malfunction. But, you that's know, in the I'm Highlands in Scotland, it's windy, you know. You gotta well, that's, prepare for That's things. only because you ate too much haggis when you went oh that one time. That's what was moving on, moving anyway, on. Anyway, he goes to the mirror and starts practicing opening the coat very quickly, like he's a flasher. And so it gets a lot of, <gasps> you know, laughs from the audience. Um, 
It's a little noisy, wouldn't you say? Well, well, Gabardine is quieter. <laughs> Anything so, for a sale. The Flasher so, wants a quieter jacket? Sure, we'll sell him one. <laughs> and Mr. Lucas and Mr. Humphreys are exchanging these odd, puzzled looks with each other, right? Yeah. Um, we soon learn that he's a paparazzo and his camera, his hidden camera, is inside his sparring. Does, do people know? So, does the great um, unanimous public know what a sporin is? Um, just in case you haven't figured it out by now or didn't watch the show, the sparin is the pocket that is worn on the outside of the kilt. And not only is it used for storage, but it's also used to weigh down the kilt so it doesn't lift up in heavy winds. Yeah, right? so I've actually worn an Irish kilt and a sporin, and it's really kind of cool it's like a fashion thing it's almost like i think of it like a little purse that you kind <laughs> of wear in front of your junk that connects around your waist with the chain basically that's I mean, that's, that's really exactly what a it is yeah. Yeah. and it has cute like little mine was probably like rabbit fur sorry bugs bunny but it has like little tassels on it and i'm sure like they were made of leather but i think mine was like 17 dollars on amazon so it probably wasn't <laughs> very good so I thought you were going to ask about the word paparazzo. Well, now like, that since you've know. asked your own question, Jeff, why don't you fill us in? So that word comes from a character in the 1960 Fellini film La Dolce Vita. Okay. And the character was a news photographer. Um, Fellini took the name from the Neapolitan dialect um, for it's a word that's used to describe an annoying noise, just like that of a buzzing mosquito. Okay. Because the you know those news photographers when they you know they're being sensationalist they come upon a scene they kind of buzz around. I just and hire so Alec Baldwin to beat them up and then <laughs> they don't bother me anymore. But that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize until pretty recently that um, Italy, Italy does not speak Italian uh, until very recently. They spoke so many different dialects. Maybe like what a hundred two hundred years ago, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's kind of cool that, like, you were in the, in the South and you go to Milan or, or uh, Venice or whatever, and they would speak a different language. But, of course, in the 21st, 20th century, we think of Italian as the unifying language. But that was not always the case, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think, th I think that Italian got standardized in the 1800s. I think that's when it was. You know, so it is a relatively young language, but obviously ancient roots. And, and all of those languages... Um, Neapolitan, Dalmatian, Veneto, Sicilian, they're all related. I imagine um, those are all just ice cream flavors you just described. <laughs> Vianetta, Sicilian, Neapolitan. Spumoni, right? Spumoni. Um, and they're not completely mutually intelligible. So if, if, if you're from Sicily and you come across a Neapolitan speaker, would you be able to understand each other? Is enough. Enough to like get by in like a street wise conversation can someone from the valley understand someone from appalachia maybe <laughs> so there you go so uh the customer says well you know he explains what he does for a living and, and demonstrates the the camera and he says my friends call me candid cameron which is obviously a reference to candid camera um mm. but then humphrey says put this on and they'll call you gabardine angus don't know what that means hope you can tell so, us so, uh, John Cooper Clark was a punk poet in the late seventies. So around the time that this was airing. And so he had a very famous poem that made its way into pop culture called Gabardine Angus. And it's a poem about an exhibitionist who stands by the magazine racks, 
the dirty magazine racks at the news agents and flashes women. Right. Oh, so that was yeah. okay. So it was very topical and wow. How, what a yeah. weird little <laughs> like forty five years later. Like who's John Cooper Clark and what's a punk right. poet? What? Yeah, crazy. But that's cool. Good for you figuring that out. I had no idea. So Captain Peacock is curious as to what's going on, and Miss Humphreys let him know that the gentleman is practicing his exposure. Like, I have to of say, in typical Are You Being Served fa- fashion, fabric? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. In typical Are You Being Served fashion, um, they do the bit with the device twice, right? Pussy right. boots, pussy boots. They have to do it twice. Um, um, have I got a, little, a surprise for you, little boy? They have to do, and they they take the photograph twice because, like, if you spend all that time in the BBC workroom figuring out how to make a thing work, yeah, you're gonna get your money's worth. Um, And I I would love to have seen. I wonder if that was a real camera that took John Inman's photo of him posing, which was very cute. So Mr. Humphrey says the gentleman is practicing his exposure and Captain Peacock goes, well, I know it takes all sorts to make a world, but I may suggest you and your friend can find such activities to your leisure hours. And Mr. Humphreys pulls this face that is somewhat in between confusion and and anger, like for mm. insinuating that Mr. Humphreys is up to no good or that this is his friend, that he's not just like doing his job. Yeah, there was like a kind of, I, I definitely got a sense, I wouldn't say it was like a gay bashing or anti-gay, but definitely like that microaggression, which I'm right. sure if Mr. Humphrey is a real person, he would have experienced all the time. But um, yeah, that kind of struck me as a weird thing. But yeah. yeah, we cut over to Mr. Rumbold's office and the nurse is in there. And Mr. Harmon breaks in to tell him that the ambulance is on its way. Apparently, Mr. Rumbold is suffering from some food poisoning. Oh, dear. And Mr. Harmon says, well, when I saw Rizzles on the executive menu, I hoped it wasn't made out of Wednesday's shepherd's pie because it wasn't that great when it was Lancashire Hot Pot on Tuesday. Right. <laughs> That's so um, gross. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting to think about this, like food being recycled three times over. Um, yeah. We get a lot of Rizzle jokes this entire uh, this entire yeah. episode. Yeah. And remember that Rizzle is, you know, is a cro- as a food, it's a croquette. It's, you know, some kind of food that's bread and fried. Um, but it's also used as um, as a swear or an insult. And I don't it sounds remember like a- why. Does it, is it supposed to be vaguely phallic or something? Because it sounds like asshole. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I'll accept that one. So the amp- the paramedics wheel Mr. Rumbled out, uh, out onto the floor. And Harmon says, he tells the staff um, to make way because the, the stretcher's coming through. Mr. Rumbold's been taken queer. Well, anything I can do, quips Mr. Humphrey. Happens to me quite often, actually. And so the paramedics pause so his staff can talk to him. Rather than whisk him, whisking him away to the ambulance, <laughs> the gurney is just there it's in the middle of the floor. Jeff. It's killing right? him. And then, oh, this, this got me. Calm, the nurse, Calm down. The nurse boom. goes, I think he's going into a coma. <laughs> what? <laughs> You, you don't go into a coma from food poisoning. Jeff is pulling his hair out right now. 
Like, can't you just say, like, I think he's going to pass out, which he eventually does. I feel like that would be, like, a, a better setup. Like, to, like, hurry up, get your last words in or whatever you have to say before he passes out. You're right, Jeff. Are you being served is not completely <laughs> medically logical. They should have consulted a, um, a physician. Come on. They should have had, like, I mean, if Grey's Anatomy and ER and, like, oh, um, Ho- Holy City and Casualty can get this right. Come on. Um, so Captain Peacock wants to know if he set the machinery in motion for a replacement and then he starts sucking up. Would you mind putting in a good word? The dude is about to pass out in the middle of the floor, right? Yeah. The most, the most suitable person to take over in my absence would be, would be. S- that's, that's s- Mr. Rumble, s- s- like s- declaring, and, but then he like right. passes out very. Right. The, the air yeah. is just escaping. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so he regains his strength a little bit. Ha ha. It's Humphreys, it's Humphreys. Nope, he's shaking his head, that's not it. <laughs> Lu, 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 Lucas, Lucas, he wants it to be. No, no, Mr. Slocum said he's asking someone to loosen his tie. Which apparently she was right, because he starts nodding. She, she, she gathered that um, telepathically. This is Mr. Right. Slocum loosening your tie. I love how she said that. Right. So cool. Well, point to the person that you want. He like barely points at Mrs. Slocum and then passes out. Wow. And then he gets whisked away. We all hope that Mr. Rumbold gains a speedy recovery, right? Um, yep. Later on that day, young Mr. Grace is on the phone and confirms that it was food poisoning. Uh, the department file into his office to find out um, who's going to be the replacement. And young Mr. Grace reassures them that Mr. Rumbold will be as right as rain in a few weeks. A few weeks? Does he have, like, tomain or botulism? Like, how severe is this case of food poisoning? Uh, well, it is the UK. If you feel like you, you might sneeze, you can go home and take a week off with pay. So, I don't know. <laughs> Do I sound That's a little jealous? Uh, a little bit, yeah. But So, young Mr. Grace has made a few notes about the staff <laughs> to figure out who's going to be the best to uh, replace Mr. Rumbold or to fill in for Mr. Rumbold. Yeah. And so um, in true Grace Brothers fashion, he uses a bunch of nonsense initials to, <laughs> to save time. Yeah. And so Captain Peacock is TVF, too valuable on the floor. Okay. Goldberg is PI, which he hopes means practically irreplaceable, but past it, <laughs> which is which one is of my favorite of... insults. Yeah, it's so quaint and like it's not even really an insult but it's so cute that it somehow is i don't know right uh, there's a question mark against mr humphrey it's a story of my life oh, that's um cute. we've got brahms down as a possible but his secretary reminds him that's for the other list so bad so i'm guessing the other list is the ladies that he wants to invite on his yacht when he goes down to the caribbean or something ever. like that would right. you like to come to my yacht young lady uh, and then Miss, Mrs. Slocum is worth trying in a new position, which he hopes is not for the other list as well, right? <laughs> My God, it's so bad. Captain Peacock is dead set against having Mrs. Slocum in this um, uh, get uh, backfill. And he says, if she's got it, I threaten to resign. Young Mr. She's Grace got says, it. <laughs> she's got it. Well, as I was saying, I resign myself to my fate, right? Good save, Captain he, Peacock. He retains jurisdiction on the floor because, God forbid, That's all he, cares he about. should have to say anything. He should have to do anything that Mrs. Slocum says. Right? I love this episode because, I mean, as we get into the middle or even beginning of season seven, the uh, divide, the gulf, the Grand Canyon between Mrs. Slocum and Captain Peacock, the hatred 
has been stoked and stoked. And um, it really comes out this episode. And when those two hate each other, it's fantastic. It's really good TV when they hate each other. Well, you, she needs an enemy, right? Because she usually gets that from she used to get that from Mr. Granger or Mr. Tess. Mr. Lucas or something, yeah. Right. And so and she's not getting that from Mr. Goldberg because he's so lovable he's as so a nice. personality. Right. Yeah, we got another tech another tweet from someone else on uh, Twitter. I'm sorry I don't remember who you are. But they said, by the way, um um what's his name? Arthur Arthur Bass. Alfie, Alfie Bass. Alfie Bass beloved in the UK. And I and I think yeah. on the show, the show when he came on to the show, we said, like, and there's this somewhat known actor that people might have heard of. No, <laughs> we were corrected. No, like, he is, like, he's almost on the currency in the UK. Um, not that, not quite, but, um, yeah. So he's a really popular guy, and I think we were yeah. pretty lucky to have him on the show. Yeah, and I think that the writers were good not to paint him as that cantankerous older character yeah uh, but rather to make him like just well loved by by everybody yeah. and, and I, I don't think that he ever gets into a fight with mrs slocum the entire his entire time no, he's there. very polite actually yeah yeah uh mrs slocum lets it be known that she does not want Ms. brahms to take over for her she thinks she's too inexperienced and she should they should advertise for the position because so. clearly she she wants them all to fail because that proves how important she is Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break, and then let's see what happens when Mrs. Silkum rises the ranks. I hear they have a sale on meringue, so let's pop down and we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag. Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does It Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. And we're back. How were your meringues? You know, they were spoiled. I should have I should have <laughs> expected that. For some reason I didn't think of it. What about you? I don't know. I, I took one look at those rizzles and even though they were made out of uh fish, I was like I, I can't even I can't oh, even. Oh from Monday into that. from last Monday, yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. So where were we in the episode? So it's the next day and there's a customer who's giving compliments to Ms. Brahms for being so quick and knowledgeable about her stock. Ms. Mm-hmm. Brahms is wearing supervisory frills and Ooh. huge earrings. <laughs> and Captain Peacock comes over to congratulate her that she's made three sales first thing in the morning. So Mrs. Slocum has been proven wrong immediately. And uh, they they notice like she's awfully late this morning, isn't she? Mm, you know, yeah. not even referring to her by name. Well, exec- <laughs> executive staff are not expected until nine thirty, and on cue, ding, the lift doors open, 
And there's Mrs. Silicum, who's wearing a cream-colored Chanel-style suit. Um, Looking fabulous. The crowd collapse as she descends the stairs. Right. She because looks she's, fabulous. She's wearing an iconic piece of clothing, right? Uh, the Chanel suit is well known for its contrasted black piping. Uh, you know, Jackie Kennedy famously wore it several times. She actually famously wore it uh, the day that her husband got assassinated. Oh, yeah. um, if we think about um, The Simpsons, right? There was that episode, Scenes from the Class Struggle in Springfield, where Marge Simpson gets a Chanel suit from a vintage store and wears it everywhere <laughs> to fit in with her new snobby country club friends, right? Of course. So, and, and, and she's got a cape on as well. So she's very, looking very different than she ever does, even in her um, uh, uh, personal attire Senior in the American episodes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Mr. Humphreys bought her flowers for the first day, sucking up to teach her. Very nice. Right? Suck up. Yeah. Well, I believe in having friends in high places. Uh, oh, is that why you went on that climbing holiday with that steeplejack? Um, yeah, what's a steeplejack? I didn't know what that was. So that's someone who climbs steeples or climbs chimneys, like, in order to clean them or to, like, oh, like reset Bert the bell. Oh, from, like uh, from Mary Poppins. Sure. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke, come on. Great guy. What did you just call me? <laughs> um, Mr. Humphreys corrects him. He was a lumberjack, and we went potholing, right? Uh, that's the UK word for spelunking when you go exploring in caves. So this is a very, okay, so let's just sum up what just happened really quickly. Is that why you went on the, um, what was the hiking vacation with the lumberjack? Nope. So the joke is, I believe in having friends in high places. So Lucas says, is that why you went on a climbing holiday with a steeplejack? Somebody who climbs things for a living. That makes sense. Right. And so Mr. Humphreys corrects him. He was a lumberjack and we went potholing, which means spelunking, right? To go and spelunking is cave exploring. Right. Yeah. So that doesn't, that doesn't have any joke in and of itself, but it sets it up for the next line, which is he saved my life when I damaged my equipment on a stalagmite. (laughs) Okay. And the joke is, with spelunking, there are there are stalactites and stalagmites, and well, the, the names are so similar. I never know which is is does it, is it the one going down from the ceiling or going up from the floor? Well, the the first one is damaged my equipment. Right? Equipment being yeah. a euphemism for right, right? Mm-hmm. And so st- stalagmites, stalactites drop from the ceiling. If you think about stalactites, is spelled with a C. They okay. come down from the ceiling. Oh, a mnemonic device. Very nice. Right. And stalagmites come up from the floor. Mr. Lucas can't remember which way they go either. He goes, is that the one that comes up? And he said, this one did. Because <laughs> eventually he sat on it. Like he got it, you know, up his, uh, he got a jacksy full of uh, stalagmite. Is that what they call it these days? <laughs> Moving right along. So Mr. Harmon shows Mrs. Slocum around her office. Uh, there's an electric kettle in the drawer. Uh, and he removed some of Mr. Rumble's personal effects, including his soap and his flannel, what we call a washcloth over here. Um, mm-hmm. And she'll get the key to the executive carzy from Mr. Bancroft in theater bookings. I didn't get that joke at all. I didn't either. There, there was something in there because the audience laughed. But I'm not sure what the theater bookings had to do. Is it just because it's a different department? Like you wouldn't expect to get your the executive washroom key from that department? Like it's so far fetched. I don't know. 
I wonder if Bancroft, could that be Cockney rhyming slang? Oh, Bancroft? maybe. Maybe. If anyone in the UK knows, let us know. I also think it's really cute in this episode, and probably why I remember it so well. <laughs> um, she has to get... I, I, I guess when I was like a little gay kid, I loved the idea of having like a little set and like little soaps and little towels and my own little supply. And oh, I, I get to choose. Because as a kid, you know, you can't choose anything. Everything's kind of given to you and you can't, you know, you don't have any say. So this is like checking a lot of boxes for me. I wonder, <laughs> when I was a kid, I, and, and today. But I wonder if back in 1979, you know, they, they talk about like disposable towels. Like maybe you go into the, the staff bog and there was probably toilet paper, but nothing else. And you had to bring your own soap. And you had to bring your own blah, blah, blah. Or was just just all a funny thing for comedy to make the woman come up and, like, sell her soap? I don't know. This is, this is probably all for comedy. Like, I could certainly imagine that in the executive washroom they have, like, linen towels instead of, like, paper towels, right? And yeah. like you might, you might have your own set for like washing your face or something like that. Like because like women what might like wash their face and reapply their makeup if they're women executives, right? Mm. That kind of thing. Um, Mr. Harmon also asks if he'll if she'll require Mr. Rumbold's usual supply of meringues, right? Because remember, uh, executives oh. get their tea served to them every day. Yes, because they don't and need so, teas made; they have people to wait on them. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so. Um, Mrs. Slocum wants her picture taken on her first day, which is so sweet. Like, you know, this is a momentous occasion. So she goes to sit down, and there's a whoopee cushion in her chair. I'm sure you'll be a big noise in Grace Brothers sign, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> like, they're very nice. And, like, you know, and she laughs. You know, that's a practical he's a joke. Naughty I shall boy. tell him he's a naughty yes. boy. And then she picks up the telephone, and it spits water at and her. And then that's the <laughs> like, first classic Molly Sugden grimace face, which I love. Right. And I, by the way, have you ever been into an executive carsey? Have I ever been into it? Does the, does the staff bathroom in high school count? Um, private or public school? Private. Oh, yes. Hello. Do they have like a leather sofa and like. Absolutely not. It was not, it was cleaner than the, than the student's restroom. But other than that. When I was. In my early 20s, I worked in an office, and there was the CEO guy. And I don't think he ever did any work. Like, he just kind of walked around wearing, like, a suit and shook people's hands. And, like, I think that's what he did. Um, nice guy, though. But there was a, the, vice, the, the presidential CEO bathroom. And I thought, that's so, like, pompous to have. Like, you can't go pee where everyone else goes. But I walked in once, and I was the only one in the entire building because I was working late, and I thought, you know, damn it, fuck, I'm going to go pee in the CEO's bathroom. It was exactly the same thing, but there was a little dish of mints <laughs> next to the sink. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I guess it's nice. And I took the mint, and I thought, I've made it. This is the top That's I can hysterical. ever get in life. Is That's hysterical, oh, right? We cut down to the canteen, and Mrs. Slocum decides to uh, slum it and join her staff for coffee. <laughs> and uh, no one's really interested in taking making small talk with her, except for Mr. Humphreys, right? Yeah. Um, she threatens away to take away. She threatens to take away Mrs. Brum's Miss Brum's frills because she's only temporary. She's not entitled to wear them yet. Um, and then everybody else leaves except Humphreys, who tries to stay to chat. 
But Captain Peacock calls him away because they're, they'll be late getting back to the floor. So she's let there all alone on her lonesome. Aww. So we start to see, so we start to get this, this sense of it's lonely it's at the so top. It's so sad, like when the camera like pulls away and you see poor Mrs. Slocum all by herself with her nice little jacket having to have tea all on her own. It was very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, back in her office, uh, Mrs. Slocum is having more tea and eating some of the meringues. And she just can't keep herself busy because it's an executive cushy job. There really isn't a lot to do. And so she definitely demonstrates being bored by kind of drumming her fingers, a lot of heavy sighing, a lot of looking at the watch, checking the watch to make sure it's running, et cetera. (laughs) So Um, she calls the operator to make sure that they, she hasn't missed any calls and that they should all be put through. Um, she then calls the office equipment for green blotter paper <laughs> because this, this, this pink is just so, so common, common. Right? What's really cute, when she's having her ring, which is kind of a, a telltale sign of her true class, she gets it all over her fingers and then she yep. wipes it on the blotting paper, which is right. like kind of low class thing to do. And then she's like, I'll just get some more. I love it. Right. But, uh, the office supply has to keep furnishing the pink blotter paper until it runs out, which will be in 1992. 1992. <laughs> I remember thinking when that was in the future, which right. is like, I must have been like 1989 when I was watching, or 1990. God, I'm all getting old. Do we know what blotter paper is? Sure. So <laughs> um, if you Im- imagine... You know, imagine a desk, an executive desk that has this leather pad on it for writing with the corners that you could tuck the paper in. Um, Old fashioned um, uh, either inkwell pens or fountain pens tended to run a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you needed to make sure to uh, get the first drips out before you started writing. And so there'd be this paper you'd use to cover your desk, which would just be for blotting your, your pen. And it would be like, what, like two feet wide by one and a half feet tall, like this giant thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like bigger than a, a computer monitor on your desk. Right. And you'd have many, many sheets of it. So you'd like kind of, like, like Jeff was saying, you'd like prime your ink pen by kind of like drawing a line, making sure the ink's flowing because it wasn't always a ballpoint pen. And right. then when you, that sheet would get full of little lines, you would rip it and you'd have a, a fresh seat, sheet underneath it. It's just weird. Like, I mean, think about an office with no, no computer, um, no emails to answer, um, and all of the work you did was on the telephone and on sheets of paper. So you look at Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Slocum's desk. There's no one calling her. <laughs> she has no papers or anything. There's nothing to do. It's very weird compared to 2021. I'm just looking right now to see if they still sell blotting paper, and they do. Um, well, a lot of times these so days yeah. they'll be like big calendars, right? That you can write. Your- well, that's what that's what's replaced it now. Is that there's a huge calendar yeah. that you use? But like, yeah. Oh, it's expensive too. Like, well, it ran out in 1992. Um, <laughs> like, like a, a block of blotter paper is probably around forty or fifty bucks. Wow. Um, uh, no, okay, so there are some uh, other options that are a little bit more affordable. So anyway, um, she then calls up to the cosmetics department for them to send up some samples for the executive washroom. Oh, Again, good. like you were saying before, right? Yep. Um, Hopefully it's more than mints on a tray. 
She calls Miss Brahms to chat and catch up, but Miss Brahms is busy. She's selling a 3,000-pound coat. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Slocum is furious uh, because not only is she going to miss out on that commission, but Miss Brahms is proving her wrong. And then she, and she, and tells then she gets her, pissed off, and she's like, have you taken those frills off yet? That's <laughs> so cute. That's the only power she has is to lure that over right. Miss Brahms. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas come in with the samples uh, to uh, for her made-to-measure suit. Oh, hang on a second. There isn't. There, this was a point of a little bit of an adversarial relationship between Mr. Goldberg and Mr. Slocum because he refuses to bring in the swatches that, for her. Oh no, you're for right. The suit yeah, making. yeah. Well, he never does yeah. anything to her face, right? Because he's a gentleman. But I love. Um, I love how. When when they knock on the door, Humphreys and Lucas knocks on the door, she feigns a, a telephone call. But you notice, and what's kind of lost in 2021, she has to put her thumb on the little button that pops up when you lift the handset up. On the hook, right. yeah. Because that would automatically call an operator. So if she didn't push that little button down... It would have instantly called somebody. So since she's talking, quote unquote, on the phone to somebody, she had to hold it down. But I don't think if you knew how that phone would work, you wouldn't get that, right? Because phones yeah. are so different these days. Yeah. And then she says, God, what did she well, say? Well, if, you could, if, if, if John Lewis can do a better offer, I advise you to take it. She's so pompous. I love it. She's just right? rubbing it in everyone's faces. When was the last time that you used a rotary phone? Oh, my God. Ooh, that's a good one. A rotary phone. Yeah. When I was a kid, we of course, everyone had one in the kitchen with a long cord that your mom yep. would be on while she's making spaghetti. But that was a push button. Um, I don't think I have ever used a rotary phone. I think... Uh, uh, Wow, is this another one of those examples about the generation gap between us? I feel like when my grandmother moved out of her apartment when I was in eighth grade, I think that would probably have been the last time that I used an rotary phone. 1964. (laughs) (laughs) Have we already talked about letters and telephone exchanges also? Was it a, I think we might have. have you, I think you said yeah. that like your part of Jersey was like the last part in the country, or something that had a an exchange. No, or, I mean no. I, rem- Island, I remember. I, I remember using. I remember using. Uh, uh, letters and words and a telephone number very early on, um, and I think that that's one of the things that bridged the gap. Like I remember. I remember being taught like my grandmother's phone number with words, but my phone number was with numbers. Yeah. I don't know why that was. Did anyway. you remember the Hindenburg disaster? <laughs> it nearly ruined my bar mitzvah. <laughs> that's funny. That's a joke from that's a joke from RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Um Mr. So Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas come in with the samples. Uh, and they brought the short tape measure, which doesn't get all the way around. I her really bust. want to put in the show notes for this episode. Jeff is old. <laughs> he would piss you off so much. 
You know how I do the show notes for every episode and it's like just random thoughts about the episode in like a narrative poetry kind of format? Jeff is old. <laughs> Go for it. If the unanimous hasn't figured that out by now. We're just mature, that's all. Uh, so they have to improvise taking the measurements. So her bust is 42 and a pencil. Her waist is 42 and a rubber and eraser. or eraser. Huh. Uh, and then her hips are 42 and the week ending October the 5th. And I love her page look. Off the she's looking away because she's like, I, I, I'm, I'm a rotund woman. I can't get away from it. She's not rotund. She's stocky. Well, no, she's not 21. You know, right? That's she, that's the, what the it actress is, yeah. is probably like in her late forties, and she's had two kids, and you know, not everyone's a size one or two. You know, but can you say can you say Mrs. Locum's vital statistics in that voice? No. I'll just go over <laughs> my vital statistics again. I'm twenty one with long blonde hair and a forty two inch bust. Is that what you meant? <laughs> that's exactly okay. what I meant. Thank you, Mr. Brandon. Yeah, I do it at parties. <laughs> There's a knock on the door, and the cosmetics arrive, and it's Ms. Edna Kamlozi of the cosmetics Ms. department. Ms. Edna Kamlozi. I love it. Who is played by Avril Angers, and she's actually quite famous. Uh, she was once considered the UK's answer to Lucille Ball. Oh, interesting. Uh, and she was in a variety of comedy shows throughout the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, probably best known for playing Rosie Lee on How Do You View, okay. which was one of the very first sitcoms uh, that started in the uh, in the very early 50s, uh, as well as the telephone operator on Dad's Army. Dad's Army is yeah. the biggest show ever, and I'm really ignorant about it, and I know I'm making people's ears cringe when they – or their, their faces cringe when I say that. But we have a lot of fans, a lot of unanimous, who's like, you guys have to get into Dad's Army. It was uh, Lloyd and Croft's show. Oh, my God. I, did Alfie Bass play on Dad's Army too? Um, I don't think he did. I, everybody else did of the main cast, um, but I don't think that he did. Yeah. So we need yeah. to, we need to have like maybe a mini. Um, I am unanimous in this edition of that or something. Put it on the list. What I thought was really weird is that she didn't get an applause break either when she entered or when she left. So I'm just wondering, you know, any other time any other celebrity comes on. Um, where they're where they're not playing a customer, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, because because the celebrities will play customers all the time, and they don't get kind of the applause. But you see, when they have this kind of one bit thing that they do, and I was just surprised that she didn't get recognized for that. Um, anyway, they're they're talking about all of the things yeah. that sell. You could you could tell that she's put out by having to come up to uh, to the first floor <laughs> to see Mrs. Slocum. Well, of course, Mrs. Slocum and is she, just. Knocked off her feet. She can't go down and look at she's it herself. She's too busy, yes. right? Um, <laughs> and so she's describing, uh, she's describing the, uh, what the executive washroom looks like so they, they can get uh, a washcloth and soaps and everything to match. <laughs> and so she describes it as red plush and harpic, which is a toilet cleanser. Oh, so that's the motif, yeah. red plush, like shag, I guess, shag carpeting. Right. And it smells of, like, bleach. <laughs> okay. Right? <laughs> so, Ms. Cumlozy demonstrates all the soaps. They cost, they range anywhere from 50p to six pounds. And she takes the cheapest one. Okay, one carbolic. <laughs> so, what's a carbolic? 
Is that just a type of soap that's cheap? It's a, it's an antibacterial soap. It's a common soap. So, you know, Safeguard, for oh, example, okay. is just... Yeah. So remind us, could you please, Mr. Jeff, uh, the human computer, um, how much would six pounds worth of soap be today from 1979? Oh, Lord, I did not do the math I mean, on that's this like, one. T- like, but... is it 20 bucks? So six pounds today would be $39. So $40 for a bit of shitty soap that you put... Well, it's not shitty well, soap. Yeah. It's, like, really good soap. It's tough at I the mean, top. I mean, if you go and buy a bottle of, like, Aesop soap, that's 40 bucks. Well, I don't buy no freaking Aesop, so, you know... Well, I don't buy Aesop soap either. I buy my so soap my in Chinatown soap. in bulk. But. So my soap, so my soap comes from um, Flying Tiger, uh, which is. Have you ever been hit by a flying, flying tiger? tiger? No. So uh, imagine if IKEA did a dollar store. Ooh, I like it. It's re- it, It's like really, really fun and really kitschy, and like you can they have like every department. You can get like housewares, party supplies, things like that, and so they make this amazing smelling soap which sells for $2 a bar here in the States, but over in the UK, it's two for a pound. And so whenever I go, I stock up and I have like probably about a dozen bars of soap left. And I'm sure you pay import duty taxes when you go through customs at uh, Heathrow or or JFK. So moving right along, (laughs) um, see, Mrs. Cumblosi begins to describe the towels, right? And so we start with our first quality Turkish towels at eight pounds each. Speaking of quality, I just want to say here, Uh Miss Kamlozi has the most soothing voice. You first have first quality Turkish with Egyptian, Lancashire, Hong Kong, luxury disposable. She has like, her voice is velvet. And damn, I loved it. I really want to figure out who this lady is now. I just want to listen to her speak. Ah. I'm sure. I mean, if she's so famous that she was considered the UK's Lucille Ball, I'm sure there's plenty of recordings. Yeah, and I love how at the beginning of the scene when she walks in, she's kind of annoyed and she like throws stuff at Humphreys, like here, hold this. Right. Uh, Annoyed, but then she turns into like you know milk and honey and the lovely soothing voice. You know, funny. So, Mrs. Slocum does not choose the eight-pound towels, but (laughs) rather the disposables that are a pound per dozen. Right? It's hard at the top. You know, she hasn't made her first executive wage yet. She's still on her shop floor wages. She can't afford to spend, right? So, Miss Cumblosi gives, like, a polite nod goodbye to Mr. Humphreys, grabs her suitcase, and walks out. But before she leaves, she mutters under her breath, but loud enough for for us to hear... Silly old bitch. <laughs> I know. And I remember thinking when I was a kid watching it, like, oh, my God, they said bitch. And this is this 19- is the first time. Yes, 1979. Like, they wouldn't say bitch on TV in the States until like Not the late 90s or even after that. Right? No, no. I mean, I'm sure that. Well, they did on Dynasty. Oh, you bitch. I was gonna, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Alexis Carrington Colby. <laughs> So that was like the champagne burned. <laughs> We're so gay right now. Oh, Dominique Devereaux, the champagne. I burnt. prefer Petrosian um, caviar. But I feel like this is the first time that they use like 
a genuine curse word here. Yeah. Like they said, they said hell and damn before. I'm sure, but and this was this is probably before the watershed hours. So they couldn't have like said said shit or something like mm. that. But to say bitch, that was probably daring for the time. Yeah, and I yeah. I, I did notice that she didn't fo- she didn't face the camera. No. So I wonder if that's like a rule the BBC said or something. Um, that she couldn't be seen saying it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it yeah. So Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Jeffries are finally having a, con- a confab you know, because they're, she's bored. She hasn't been able so to talk cute. to He's anyone He's like, I'm a little day. gay boy. I want my, 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 uh, my best friend who's a lady. Like, we need to have this. It's so, so cute. Right. Need to have the gossip. Yeah. And so she's, she's really bored of the job and wants to come back to the floor. Mm. But he tells her, you better do it quick because two weeks is management and you'd be out of the union and you couldn't come back to the floor. So she's trying to figure out a way to get off the floor. And so on cue, again, Captain Peacock comes in to have <laughs> her sign some chits, right, to authorize some checks yes. for all of the sales that Miss Brahms has made for the uh, coat, a crocodile handbag, and some aquamarine cro- costume jewelry. So she can't come back to the floor now because Miss Brown she's is raking that it she's, in. She's, she's raking it yeah. in, right? She's, she's good at her job. So then Mr. Rumbold calls, and she puts him on speakerphone. Now, again, let me get out my cane here and my spectacles to recall how old oh, I am. God. But I, I also recall this device where rather than like just pushing a button where the sound would come through the phone, you had to put it on top. You had to put the receiver on top of a speaker in order for the sound to be amplified. Do you see? Do you remember her doing that bit? Oh, hold on, hold on, hang, hang on a second. And she she takes the receiver and puts it on the, the machine. Yeah, well, on the machine. I, you, you, in the machine, uh, wear something red on your head. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't actually see the machine, the speakerphone. But no. I, I knew that she was doing it. And if you have ever seen the movie with Matthew Broderick as a kid, uh, War, War Games. Games, you see yep. a very similar version of that. But it was but a, that's modem. a modem. Yeah. So basically yep. a modem. God, we're going back in time. Technology. Essentially, a modem was a speakerphone that what Jeff's talking about is you take the handset, the, the thing you put up to your face, and you put that onto like a machine which basically had like its own microphone and its own speaker to connect to this thing. And then that became your modem, but like super rudimentarily. Wow. No. God, we're going back in time now. So Mr. Rumbold lets them know that he's healing, but he's still going to need another couple of weeks off. And they found out what the cause of the food poisoning was. <laughs> it wasn't the result from the canteen. It turns out that his wife had made his dessert that day, that he didn't use the one from, you know, Joe's Bakery or yeah. uh, Patisserie Valerie or wherever they got them. And uh, the eggs were spoiled. Oh, was it the eggs or the cream? Something was spoiled. For, for the meringues. And what's cute, the as meringues. soon as he says meringues, you can see Molly Sugden's face starts to turn green. Yeah, so very good. good bit of acting here. She does, she mimes Queasy very well without like <laughs> or putting drunk. her hand over her mouth. And you see Mr. Humphreys not really sure what's going on. And he's like doing a little bit of subtle, like pointing to the meringues, like, did you eat those? And she like sickly nods. And the whole time Rumble's like, don't touch them. Get, a, get Mr. Get Harmon. Get Mr. Harmon to put on a hazmat suit 
and throw it in the incinerator. And right? at that point, it's so cute. Mr. Humphreys takes up her blotting paper and starts fanning her because he knows yeah. she's just about to pass out and her hair is yeah. like fluffing around. Uh, it was so cute because he's so sweet and wants to help her. So oh. the paramedics bring her out on the <laughs> on the stretcher, and they they all apologize to her. Miss Brom says, "Oh, please come back to the oh. floor. I miss having you around." Right, and she you know, she she is you know she's happy that her colleagues miss her, but me tummy's in turmoil, but my mind's at it peace. Was so right, cute. because she knows she's gonna be able to get yeah. back. And then she starts screaming, "Lou, Lou, Lou!" Oh, Lucas, she's trying to say Lucas. No, 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 I want to go to the loo. <laughs> Which at the time to admit that you want to go to the loo, to the toilet, you notice whenever they talk about, you know, where's the gents? You know, like the, the customers. Mm. Ha, 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 ha. So, so hilariously funny. Because, I don't know, like bathroom humor is not a big deal anymore. Like poop. No. Ha, ha, ha. You just said the word poop. But back then it seemed to be a bigger deal. Um, couple thoughts. Um, when I was a kid, I really liked this episode, one, because it was sort of Mrs. Slocum, who, in my 12, 13-year-old brain, I kind of thought was a kid, and then she became an adult, right? But then she missed her okay. friends, and she got to go back, right? And um, at the end of the episode, even though she was kind of a bitch to everyone, um, literally, in some cases, with the Mrs. Kumlozi. Kumlozi. Um, <laughs> uh Everyone at the end kind of hugged her. I mean, they didn't literally, but you could tell there's like a lovely community and that they loved each other. And, you know, um, who doesn't want a bit of that, especially in the fucking pandemic? My God, we're all ugh, so annoyed at being isolated by everything. Um, but I also wanted to throw in something else I, I thought about uh, yesterday. In fact, I was going through our old episodes and I'm curious if you've done this too, Mr. Jeff, or if you, the unanimous. I went to the very first episode that we did. Uh-oh. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, it's really remarkable to hear how we have changed sonically on the show. Like, I feel that we... Well, your voice finally broke. <laughs> Mrs. Brady. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's weird, too, because, like, you know, it's if you go and look at our numbers on the show, um, Hello's uh, Dear Sexy Knickers... Um, the first episode we did published, um, I don't know how many episode view listenings, whatever it's gotten, but it's, it's the highest one. And it kind of maybe wanted to like go on and put like a attention. This is the first episode we did. It doesn't sound very good. Be patient. Well, unanimous. <laughs> wait until, wait until we broadcast the lost episode of the pilot oh, that God. we recorded. It's basically like, Hey, can you, can you hear me now? Is, is, is it working? <laughs> Hello? Is this recording? Basically, two tin cans and a piece of string. And like a trombone, which is like the sound of a teacher. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I just kind of... Have you gone and listening to the uh, first episode recently? I haven't. I haven't listened to it in a while. Yeah, like the theme song's too fast and like... I don't know. It just sounds weird. It's funny. But I, I'm just like I'm just putting it out there like we've got, we've gone past the halfway point with the episodes because we're oh, on episode yeah. 43 something like that something like yeah, that and there's like 70 something um, yeah. so we've come a long way I feel we've kind of gotten our stride and we can put it together and edit and stuff and people seem to like it so um, they like us they, they really, really like, like us. us so that's lovely 
So we hope you like us enough to listen next week when we're going to talk about The Hero, and that's the one where Captain Peacock challenges Mr. Franco to a boxing match. Knockout! See what I did there? <laughs> Thank you, Gladys. <sighs> if you've got favorite memories of that episode or want to tell us about what else uh, Avril Angers has done, you can get in <laughs> touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you could write us an old-fashioned email at that does suit Madam with an e at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call on the Peacock hotline. That is 662-PEACOCK, 662-732-2625. If an international call is too much for your purse strings, record a voice memo and email it to us. And with that, Unanimous, you've all you've done, all done very, very well. well. Bye, Unanimous. That Does Who Madam is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Consuming raw or undercooked eggs may increase your risk of foodborne illness. 